0: You may be seated. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here in New Hope. And uh, today we're going to keep talking through our Christmas series called Why Christmas? Uh, we've been asking the question why a whole lot lately, and we're going to keep doing that. Uh why is a cool question to ask. I think we've talked about this a little bit, but when you ask why, you really get to the deeper truth of things. It's not just about, you know, surface level answers. It's about digging deeper and finding out the the wealth of information that, that lives just under maybe very common biblical answers, right? And so we've asked the question, why Jesus? We talked about that. We've asked why was he born in a manger, right? Why was he, why was he poor growing up? We've talked about that. Um, today I want to ask you another question. I want to ask, why Israel? Why Bethlehem? You know, Israel, that's a pretty uh, common word these days. We, we hear about Israel a lot. Well, Jesus was a Jewish man. He is a Jewish man. He, his nat- nationality is Israeli. He was born in Israel, right? Like, that's our God, right? He's from Israel. But why? Why did God choose for him to be born out of Israel? Why did that happen? Why is that the path God chose? Um, here's the deal about this answer. It's really simple, and we could say it in like three seconds and be done. Or we could talk about it for like six hours. And I figured we'll probably meet in the middle and go for like 20, 25 minutes. That sound good? <laughs> Let's try that. Um it all starts with one simple idea, and that is that God keeps his promises. God keeps promises. That's the first answer. It's kind of a weird one. You maybe wouldn't think that right off the bat. It doesn't, think, it doesn't seem very theological, right? It's just like, okay, cool, God keeps promises. But if we go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, we're going to talk about the gospel. We're, gonna, we're just going to knock it out right here so we all know what we're talking about. We get back to the beginning. God creates a good earth right? He makes Adam and Eve. He makes a garden. He puts them in that garden. They have one rule. One rule. Don't eat from the the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, right? Don't do that. Tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that's bad. Don't eat from that tree. Literally every other tree, eat from it. Do whatever you want. Have a good time. Make lots of babies. Have a great time, guys. It's awesome. Great. Just don't do that. But then the bad guy comes in. He's a serpent. He's a snake right we call him the devil we call him the satan which means adversary it's a title right we know that he comes in and he talks to eve and he tells her no 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 you won't die if you eat from that tree you'll just become like god knowing good and evil and so he tempts her and she eats from the tree and she sees that it's good and she goes to her husband adam and she has him eat and he sees that it's good but then all of a sudden they realize they're naked they realize that they have been cut off from the source of life. They realize that they have separated themselves from God through their action, that they have done the one thing God commanded them not to do, and whenever we fail God, whenever we do what God tells us not to do, that's called sin, and that brought them under the power of sin and death. They were slaves to sin and death at that moment. And here's what God does. He looks at Adam and Eve, and he says, Okay, because you've done this, here's what life's going to be like now. And he lays it all out, and it's not good. They're going to die. There's going to be painful childbearing. They're going to work all the days of their life. It's going to be terrible. It's going to be a very hard life. It's the, the hardships of the world we live in today, right? But then he looks at, at the Satan, at the serpent, at the devil, and he makes him a promise. He says... Because you've done this, you're going to be the lowest of all the creatures. You're going to crawl on your belly all the days of your life. You're going to eat the dust of the earth. And one day, this woman, the woman, he says, is going to have a child. And he is going to crush your head. You're going to bite his heel, but he's going to crush your head. That's the promise God makes him. And so Satan, for the rest of the Bible, knows, I'm going to die. One day, her child is going to come and kill me. Right? And we know that that's Jesus. That's Jesus. Fast forward, right? Fast forward to the end of the story. Jesus comes in. He is God. He's born into the world as a human being right? And he comes and he lives the perfect life we couldn't live. He dies the death we deserve. He takes all the sin of all humanity upon himself, takes it to the cross, dies, raises three days later from the dead, conquering sin and death, taking away the power of sin and death, right? And he gives life freely to anyone who will just believe in him, put their faith in him. They have everlasting life. We kind of talked about that week one with Why Jesus. So that's cool. Great. God keeps his promise. He does the thing he said. That still doesn't explain why Israel, though. Well, hold on. So later we get to Babel. This is generations and generations later. There's this place called Babel where all the people of the earth come together and they try to make a one world government. And God says, hey, that's not what I told you to do. I told you to go scatter and spread my message everywhere, right? So he goes down. He confuses their language. He scatters them. That makes all the nations. They go worship all their various gods. But then God comes in and he picks one guy. And he says, you're going to be my people. And I'm going to be your God. And that man's name was Abram, which is later turned to Abraham. We've heard of him, right? Okay. God says, through Abraham, all the nations are going to be blessed. Here's the deal. Abraham has a grandson whose name is later changed to Israel. Abraham's bloodline is Israel. Quite simply, the reason God chose Israel is because he wanted to keep his promise to Abraham. It's really that simple. I mean, that's one answer. That's pretty good. That's good. I like that. But why? Right? Like, why? Like, you can just kind of keep asking why. Like, why them, though? What is so special about Israel? Why couldn't he have picked somebody else? I got this map right here. Um, This is a map of the world. Can you guys see Israel? No? Tell you what, squint really hard. It's it really hard, and, and honestly, if you, like, if you want to walk like right up here to the wall, you can get like right up on it and look at it, and guess what? You still probably can't see Israel, because it's a blip on the radar. It's so puny. It is so small. You can't even really see it. It's, it's literally one of the, You know how like the really small countries have a little line pointing to it, and then it says Israel? They get that, all right? It's that little. It's that small. And that's who God chose? That's the nation... He picked, why them? Why would he pick such a tiny, puny, insignificant-sized nation? I mean, this is in one of the most dangerous places on earth, a place in the world where it has literally been at war forever, right? It's always at war. All those nations are always warm with each other, and he picks the littlest guy in the middle of all of it. Why would he do that? Well, it really kind of begs the question, why does God do anything that God does? Right? God does a lot of really weird stuff. When you really start breaking it down, when you really start thinking about the way God chooses to go about things, it is not generally the way you or I would plan on going about things. But let's consider, right? Like, God picks Israel, we've already talked about that, but he goes to Abraham, he picks Abraham, of all people. Abraham is going to be the guy. Here's the thing about Abraham. Abraham and his wife can't have kids. Seems like an odd choice for the guy that's going to be the father of all things. Do I need to grab a different microphone? Is the whole building coming down? Hold on. I'll do it. I'm not scared. Check. Hold on. Is this better? Let's do this. We'll try this. He picks Abraham. Abraham. He picks Abraham, a guy that can't have kids. Abraham and Sarah cannot have kids. So that's now the person that he is going to choose to save all of humanity through this guy's bloodline. Interesting choice. What about David? King David. So one day, God sends a prophet to a man named Jesse's house. Jesse has a bunch of sons. And... This prophet's going through and he's looking at all the sons and he's going, oh man, maybe it's this guy. This is a big strapping, very suitable man to be the new king of Israel. Maybe this guy will be the new king. And God goes, no, that's not him. And he looks at the next guy and no, God, that's that's not him. It's not him. And he keeps going down the line and it's none of the guys you would think it is. And finally, he looks at Jesse, he's like, do you have another son? And he's like, oh yeah, he's out back like shoveling manure. He's He's like the shepherd. He's, you want him. He's nobody. And God says, no, I want him. That's my king. That's the guy that's going to be the king of my people. I I want him to go be the king. In fact, I'm going to use him to slay the greatest uh, giant, the greatest warrior that the Philistines have. He's going to kill him with a rock, right? Like what? What is this? Like, why would God do that? God God takes Gideon, right? Gideon, he's got to go up against this, this neighboring army, this giant army, and he goes and he, he amasses thousands of troops, and God goes, Gideon, need you to thin those numbers a little bit. So he keeps thinning and thinning and thinning and thinning, and finally gets to like 300 people, and God's like, that's good, let's do that. But tell you what, I don't want you to fight them with like conventional weapons. I'm going to need you to go get some like clay pots and some torches and some horns, and then go to war. What? God chooses for his son Jesus to be born of a virgin. What? If I were to tell you the story of Jesus for the first time and gave you no details yet, you'd probably be like, okay, cool, so he's born. Like God comes down in the flesh. So like when he comes down, he's going to use his God powers, right? And he's going to be like, I'm God, everybody, listen to me. Here's what we're going to do. I'll save you. Nope. He doesn't do that. In fact, he, he kind of like... He kind of minimally uses powers it seems like really just kind of uses his power to like help people to heal people, to show people like that he's God in kind of these vague veiled ways that only people that love God would understand. He's actually kind of low key. You might say, "Oh oh wait, well, that's weird." Is he born into like a royal family? Does he have like a lot of money? Does he have a lot of resources, a lot of troops so he can like go wage war against the, the neighboring armies? No, he doesn't do that. He actually is born very poor in one of the poorest areas of Israel. He really doesn't have anywhere to live. He's just kind of a nomad going place to place. He's he's broke all the days of his life. He's a very humble man, low-key, nobody really important. He's, he's just kind of drifting, spreading the word of God. Huh. Okay, well, is there like an epic battle between him and the devil? Well, no, actually, he actually just comes and lets the people he came to save kill him, and that's how he saves everybody. It's so backwards. It's all so backwards. And yet, through all of that, God wins. Over and over and over again, God wins. And the question is, why? Why would he choose to do things that way? And I think Paul sums it up. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7, this is what Paul says. Can we pull up that verse, guys? I have several passages, and I didn't want to bring my Bible up. I'm sorry. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away, and each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The reason God chooses to use the most insignificant, unassuming, weak people, places, things, and methods is because if that's who he uses to get his stuff done, you can't ever say that they're the reason it worked. It's not the people, places, things, and methods that made it happen because they could never make it happen. They're the smallest, they're the weakest, they're the most lowly of people, places, things, and methods. The only reason this could work is because He's God. And so the answer is the reason God picks Israel is for His glory. If he uses something small, something weak, something little, something that shouldn't be able to stand the test of time and against great powers, if he uses that and still he's victorious, then he gets all the glory because you know it wasn't them. Look at Israel today, y'all. They go away for a little bit of time. They get thrown into exile. They come back and then they go away and then they come back. They're still here thousands of years later. And you can't even see them on the map. The world has tried to wipe them off the face of the map over and over and over again, and it can't because God gets the glory. It's that simple. But that still doesn't really answer why. I'm still over here like, why though? But why them? There's lots of small countries. You could have picked other small countries. Why them? Why do you pick them? Is it is it something special about them? Are they different? Is it because their heart was towards God? Is it because God knew that the people of Israel would just love him well? That that they're better somehow in a moral way, right? Like, what is it? Is it because they're good? It's funny, Paul actually, he has something to say about that as well. In Romans 3, 9-18, he says this, Well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we've already shown that all people, and when he says all people, he means all people, that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Is it because they're good? No. In fact, Paul Paul really is laying down the law here, and he's saying, uh, in fact, nobody is good. Nobody is good. Everybody's bad. Everybody's wicked. Nobody's seeking God. Nobody wants God, not in the flesh, not of themselves. Fallen humanity didn't want God. They didn't choose God. They didn't seek for God. The reason that they went towards God is because of God. God made that possible through the person of Jesus Christ. It can't be because Israel was good. That's not why he picked them. So then why? I got one more answer. Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8. For you are a holy people, he's talking to Israel, who belong to the Lord your God. Of all the people on earth, the Lord your God has chosen you to be his own special treasure. The Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other nations, for you were the smallest of all the nations. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you, and he was keeping the oath he had sworn to your ancestors. That is why the Lord rescued you with such a strong hand from your slavery and from the oppressive hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Look, we've already talked about the fact that God keeps his promises. Look, you just saw it there. The reason he picked Israel, because well, he wanted to keep his promise, right? Why'd he pick Israel? Well, for his glory, right? Because they're small. They're not the biggest nation. They're a small nation. They're nobody. They're a blip on the radar. If God can save the world through such a tall, or through, through such a small nation, right? Then he gets all the glory for that. So he keeps his promises. He gets all the glory. But here's the catch-all reason. Every other, every other why we can possibly ask. Why, but why, but why, but why? Do you want to know why? Just because. Because he wanted to. That's the answer. Because he loved them. Did they give him any reason to love him? No, not a single one. Nobody ever gave God a reason to love them. Right? He didn't have to make humanity but he did. Why? Because he wanted to, because he's God, because he gets to do that, because he gets to decide what he wants to do and what he wants to do gets done. That's just how it works. I remember a few months ago, we read through the entire story of Joseph, right? Joseph gets betrayed by his brothers. They, they want to kill him, but then they decide not to. So they just sell him into slavery. He gets sold into slavery by his own brothers. Then he gets thrown into prison, right? Because he he gets accused of raping his master's wife, which he didn't actually do. He gets thrown into jail, right? But then eventually he, he gets pulled into the right place and he gets elevated to the second most powerful person in all of Egypt. Why? Because God was trying to save the people of Israel and Egypt from a famine that was coming. And here's what Joseph realizes. He looks at his brothers and he said, you tried to do evil to me, but God took all of your evil and he used it for good. Here's why I bring that up. What I'm trying to show you is God is so interwoven into our reality. God is so powerful. The word is actually sovereign. He is all powerful. He is totally And completely in control to the point that you can do your worst. You can hate him. You can spit in his face. You can do whatever you want. You can be the worst version of you possible. And he will take all of your actions and they will still be working for his good. He will still get the outcome that he desires. Because he is that powerful. And when you are that powerful, you get to do whatever you want. Thank goodness he's good. What do we do with all this information? Why does God pick Israel? Because he's a God that keeps his promises. And he is a God that uses the least likely people to do the greatest things imaginable so you see how perfect and good and glorious he is so you can give him all the glory. He does that. And why? Because he wants to. And that's good enough. And it doesn't matter what you or I think because he gets the final say every time. What do we do with that? What's the application here? Well, there's a lot of things you could do, but I think there's only one rational thing to do, and that is humble yourself before the king of the universe. Christmas is all about celebrating the time when God himself decided to save the people that hated him. Not because, wait, maybe, maybe, can I get my head, headset back on? I was on a roll, man. <laughs> not because, I'm just kidding. Not because, uh, not because he gave. we gave him a reason, right? He did it because he wanted to love us. He didn't have to, but he chose to. Because that's what he wanted to do. The God of the universe that made everything, right, he is the one who created literally everything around us, everything that has ever been, everything that will ever be, decided what he wanted was you and I to be in his family. Even though we're nothing. And so when we think about that, when we think about these truths, when we think about the reality of Jesus coming into this world and dying on our behalf so that we might Live by just believing in Him. By putting our faith in Him. By trusting in Him. When when we think about that reality, does it not humble you? Does it not make you realize how minuscule you are? And how huge He is that, that no matter what you do, He will still accomplish His tasks. He will still accomplish His will because He's God and you're not. We should be humbled by that. We should be so lowly to him. We should be bowing in the presence of a king. We should submit ourselves to his will. Right? If it's his way, if it's his will, if it's what he wants, then that means that what I want should be what he wants. If I want to be right, right, since he's the standard of right, then I should try to think like him. I should try to align myself with him. So what's he want? He makes it very simple. He says, I want you to love God and I want you to love your neighbor. I want you to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. You know, we're pretty good at loving ourselves most of the time. Love our neighbors that much. Love God more than anything. That's what he wants. How do we do that? living sacrificially for them, for sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that God came and died for all of humanity, that they could live, that He loves you even though you're an enemy towards God, right? And then if you believe in Him, you don't have to be an enemy to God. You don't have to be lowly. You don't have to be nothing. You get elevated because you get aware of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You get to be covered by His sacrifice. It's not up to you to be good enough. He already was good enough. You're now good enough. You're a child of God. You're a child of the king of the entire universe. Be royalty and go tell everybody that they have that same opportunity. And here's the thing. If you don't think that you're good enough for that, if you don't think you're the right person for that job, if you think you're not equipped for that job, if you're not smart enough, if you don't know enough about the Bible... If you've had a really shady past, if you've done a lot of things that you're just not even ready to talk about, if you're just not at all the right person for this job, you want to know what the coolest part about that is? That makes you like the best person for this job. Because God uses the most most unlikely, the most unassuming, the weakest, worst candidates because He wants to be glorified. And he will use you no matter who you are or where you are. No matter how lowly, no matter how little you have, it doesn't matter. He wants you. He wants to use you for great things. The question is, will you let him? Let's remember these things about God. That he keeps his promises, that he gets all the glory, and he gets the final say. Let's humble ourselves. Let's go out, let's love God, let's love our neighbor, and let's remember that even if we're the worst, even if we're the worst candidate for the job, it doesn't matter. That makes us the right person for the job. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are so good and that you are so in control. Please help us to see you, Lord. I pray that you would put it on our hearts and our minds in this time of prayer, Lord, to think about these truths, to think about you. Lord, I pray that you would make us very aware right now of what it is you're trying to impress upon our hearts. I pray that you would help us see that clearly. Lord, I pray that in this time, you would help us to see what our next steps need to be, where we need to go, what we need to do, and that you would help us to do them, Lord, that you would empower us to do them through your Holy Spirit. Make it so clear to us, Lord. Let us see right now what we need to do next. And Jesus, please let us see the people around us that we can count on, that we can put our faith in, that they can hold us accountable. that that now that we've got our next steps, that now we've got a plan of action, we know how we're actually going to follow through with this. Lord, we pray that you would hold us accountable through your Holy Spirit, that you would convict us to move and to go forward and to love people and to see people as children of God that we wouldn't judge people just because they're different from us or because they don't live up to the standards that maybe we make in this world, but that we see that we aren't worthy, no one's worthy, not one, but you love us enough to die for us and to make us children of God. Lord, please help us to go forward. Help us to spread your gospel to the world. We thank you. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast.